0: hello again everyone and welcome back to octopulse our detroit news detroit red wings podcast i'm assistant sports editor mark faulkner with red wings beat reporter ted colfin coming up we'll hear from hall of famer ken dryden who has written a book on former red wings coach scotty bowman we're giving away a free copy a hockey life like no other just head over to our facebook page for details our octopulse facebook page but ted We're up here in the press box at Little Caesars Arena down below. The Wings and Tampa Bay Lightning are getting ready for this Sunday game. What do you make of the Wings' somewhat improved play during this four-game homestand?
1: There's been a couple of different attributes, Mark. I think they've been a little bit more physical, the grinding element's been there, and actually a little bit more scoring depth, and I think we'll actually see more of it once Philip Zadina returns to the lineup. You're going to have three lines that have if they don't strike fear offensively any other team at least a measure of fear so i uh, think they're planning playing the type of game they wanted to from the start of the season they're a little healthier it's obviously a little too late but it's good to see what
0: are your thoughts about that improved physical play
1: No, that is something they wanted to establish at around the midway point of the season i think they've done a decent job of it yeah for sure they stick up for each other it is you can't deny that they stuck up for each other all season they're not taking any gruff and that's again that's something you want to see especially from a for a team that struggled as much as they have in the standings
0: after friday's two to one win over the hawks here at little caesar's arena coach jeff blaschel credited an early save by jonathan bernier on alex to break it as a key turning point in the game here's jeff Blashill.
1: that was an elite 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 save like sometimes uh, you know, goalies can make the read or whatever. Like, he had to get across. I, I would have guessed it would have been in. And, and so what that did was just allow us to, to find our game. You know, I thought the first couple minutes we weren't very good. He made that save, and I thought after that, for 40, we were really good. Um, we weren't very good in the third. Um, you know, look like a team that hasn't won much... Uh, uh kind of self-combusted at times but uh he stayed strong and, and but again i thought for 40 minutes we were, we were we looked like a, a a hockey team we 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 had to puck a lot we did a lot of things we want to do to be a better team
0: ted the uh, wings are 32 games under 500 so there haven't been a lot of those key plays but as dylan larkin said the other day they can play the role of spoiler they hurt chicago's slim playoff chances right. And they could keep Carolina out of the playoffs with a win
1: here on Tuesday. And hey, just going back one second, Mark, Jonathan Bernier, what a season he's had. Yes. Uh, for a team that's as abysmal in the standings as they are, I mean, Bernier really has had a fantastic season. You look at the numbers from December on, he's been one of the better goalies in the leagues. and. There rarely has been an off night that he's had. So let's give special mention to Jonathan Bernier. But, yeah, they seem to relish the role of being a spoiler, and they certainly have the opportunity here these last several weeks of the season. A lot of the teams they're facing, they're right in the midst of a playoff chase. Even tonight against Tampa. I mean, Tampa still has faint hopes of catching Boston. Not to mention the fact Tampa's beaten them 16 consecutive times. 16 so, times. And without Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman, I mean, if they don't beat Tampa tonight, coming off... I mean, they're just coming back from Boston here in the wee hours of the morning. If ever there's been a good opportunity for them to beat Tampa, it's this evening. Let me tell you. What
0: do you make of the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, Steve Iserman's former team last year? They had 62 wins, tying the 95-96 Red Wings with 62 victories. This year, Julian Brisebois traded a number of first-round picks and Nolan Foot right. for more depth down the line. They had almost a McCarty-Lemieux game last night Right, in Boston with a lot of physical play, and it may not have been a turning point, but it should be interesting, even without Stamkos and you said Hedman tonight.
1: I tell you, my friend, I do like their lineup with those two, but I tell you, if you head into the playoffs for any length of time without those two players, it'll be similar to last year, especially missing Hedman last year. And We all know what happened the four-game getting swept by Columbus in four games. If they're healthy, if they're if they have all their pieces, I will tell you, Mark, I don't think there's too many teams that could beat them. Um, I think a series between them and Boston would be oh. <laughs> epic. I think it'd be epic hockey. Um, they're a favorite. I mean, but a clear-cut favorite, I'm not quite sure about that. They have to be healthy. They have, they have so many demons to exercise too. I yeah. mean, they've they've been the. Odds-on favor to win the last several years, and it just hasn't happened for them yet. One more
0: note, Ted, on Friday's game: Tyler Bertuzzi ended a 14-game goal-scoring drought. Here he is talking about the big line with Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha. I think everyone on our line you will know, bring something different to the table. It um, works his speed, um, always body. And, um, you know, I'm just going to the net and you know trying to be hard in the pocket. You know, I think we just drill together, and um, you know, it's been good.
1: Were you, were you relieved to finally score, even though it's been 14 games? Or did you just, as long as you're playing well and winning, it doesn't matter.
0: Well, is it, um, you know, as long as we're winning, that's you know, that's not uh, you know, not thinking about it at all obviously you want you want to score you want to help contribute to uh, you know to wins and um you know it felt good to you know to get a you know get a goal tonight and you know it's bigger to to get a win ted Bertuzzi leads the team with 19 goals he had 21 last year blashel said he's not worried about the points as long as he quote stays true to his identity as a hard skill guy not a guy who scores on a bad team do you see Bertuzzi? as a top six forward heading into the following couple of seasons still.
1: I, to? Yeah. I think there's a role, Mark, for sure. I, as long as he doesn't forget that sandpaper, gritty type of play that got him to the league and has helped him thrive here this season, sometimes he has a tendency to get away from that, and then that's where you see his total production actually fall off a little bit. As long as he remembers who he is and he's not the cutesy, elite, offensive type of guy type of style, guess you could say. As long as he remembers who he is, I think he's going to be a key piece for this team down the road.
0: Ted, the uh, coronavirus after the game, you'll be allowed into the dressing room. Some NHL teams have left it up to right. the clubs. Are they allowed in? So what's the what's Rangers, The Rangers, New
1: Jersey and the Islanders, from what I heard last night, did not allow anybody in. It's like basically up to the teams right now. I don't know. It just falls in line with every all the other Stuff that's going on around the world, Mark. It's pretty. It's a It's incredible how life has changed for everybody the last few weeks. We'll see what happens. I mean, as a me- obviously as part of the media, you would like to be, like to have access to the locker room. You get a little more color, a little bit more sure flavor to the stories. But on the other hand, Mark, I, I see the league's point too. Sure. I mean, I think there's a by not going in there. You, you, there's a sense of protection for the players and the media too. I mean. You know, we're, there's it is kind of a closed area there. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think we'll know more as the week goes on. But yeah, you hear about what the possibility of empty rinks, games being played in the empty, rinks, empty right. rinks, tournaments already being canceled. It's really incredible how life has changed everywhere here in, the, in just the last several weeks. And it seems like there's going to be more changes here coming up. It seems like. Well, as Dylan Larkin
0: said, you have to be Can't careful. Can't leave your life in fear. No, yeah, and really last night good. Dylan was at the Michigan game, right. and the fans in the student section asked him to come over, and he led some cheers. Sure. I'm sure there were fewer handshakes, <laughs> but even the under. 18 world championships here. Yeah, in I Plymouth, think it's going to be in NRS. jeopardy. I think I it's going to so be in too. jeopardy.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, if you're canceling the women's tournament, I don't see why you wouldn't cancel the men's tournament. There's even one team
0: coming from Germany and behind Italy, and they're quarantining millions yeah. of people. There's a there's a country right there where there's certainly high risk.
1: I would I would say that tournament's a little doubtful right now in my yeah, estimation. Yeah, they said the
0: next 10 days they'll make the yeah. call on that. So. Time now for our interview segment. This week's guest is Ken Dryden. Joining us now is Hall of Fame goaltender Ken Dryden, a six-time Stanley Cup champion with the Montreal Canadiens and author of Scotty, A Life Like No Other, a book about, Ken, your former coach, Scotty Bowman, the most successful coach in NHL history, and the coach who led the Red Wings to their first Stanley Cup here in 42 years and then three Cups in six years. Why, in your opinion, was Scotty so important to the success of the Red Wings?
2: It was his his success, why he was successful anywhere. Mm -hmm. Scotty is somebody who who has never stopped learning. I mean, he's 86 years old now. Um, He still goes to about 30 games a year uh, when he's in Florida watching the Tampa Bay Lightning. He watches games on TV. He even will stream the games of the Rockford Ice Hogs from the American <laughs> League because they're the Chicago farm team and his son's the GM of Chicago. But he's somebody like almost no other expert in a field that I've ever met of where he is always looking to learn. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, 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 it's as if every next game he watches, he knows that he might see something new. And, uh, and that will start him thinking and starting to wonder and starting to imagine other ways to play and other things that his team might do. And, and I think that's the, the biggest explanation of why he could win cups 28 years apart. I mean, his, his first one was in 1973 with the Canadians. His last, as you mentioned, with the Wings in 2002. Mm-hmm. I mean, some coaches will hang on for 28 years or mm-hmm. longer. But I don't know of any that have won championships that far apart who have been a- they have been able to stay at the top for all of that period of time. And you only do that if you adapt, and you only adapt if you are if you learn, and if you're willing to learn.
0: Your uh, book documents can the relationship between Scotty and Steve Eiserman, who was the longest-serving captain in the 102-year history of the NHL to never win a Stanley Cup. It took Eiserman. 11 years as captain to finally win the Cup. Alex Ovechkin took eight years. Lanny McDonald, co-captain, six years. The Montreal Canadian players, of course, didn't have to take as long. Butch Bouchard, five years from 48 to 53. Jean Beliveau, four years from 61 to 65. Toe Blake, four years from 40 to 44. In your book, Bowman said Eisen, quote, wanted so much perfection, and when things didn't happen the right way, he would blow his stack. How do you think Bowman convinced Eiserman to stay on track to eventually save the franchise and become a better two-way player, similar to what he did 20 years earlier with Jacques Lemaire in Montreal?
2: Steve Eiserman, I, I don't know Steve. I know him through Scotty. I've met him a couple of times, but I only really know him through, through Scotty. Mm-hmm. And Steve Eiserman um, was always a, an extremely talented player and seemed to be the kind of very conscientious person who was always wanting to do what was needed. That was his instinct. That's his way. That's his personality. In Detroit, when he first arrived, um, he arrived as a big scorer, a big offensive player and onto a team and, and to a franchise that was not doing well, uh, that needed some excitement. And, and he was an exciting player. And so he played as an exciting player and, uh, and piled up all kinds of points and, and the wings became more watchable, but they weren't very successful in terms of, of winning a lot. What, what Scotty came to realize pretty quickly after he arrived in Detroit was it, it, it wasn't going to work for Steve Eisenman to continue to pile up all of these points mm-hmm. if in fact um, uh, The the team wasn't going to win in 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 the playoffs, and so he decided to go to Eisenman and 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 really have that kind of basic conversation of saying you know that that if things continue this way, you're going to be unhappy and I'm going to be unhappy. Uh, that this team what this team needs of you now is to be this all round player, um, you, you know, to to play in a way where others. Can follow, that they can play a similar kind of way. Uh, They can be inspired by the way in which you Mm. play. Uh, You don't have to lead the league in scoring or be in the top five or even in the top ten in scoring. Um, And that kind of conversation between a best player and a coach can really go off the rails very (laughs) easily. And it takes two very special people to ensure that it doesn't go off the rails. And it just seemed as if. Iserman was at the stage of his one, I think that basically Iserman understood that, knew that, and he just needed the permission essentially from, from Scotty uh, mm-hmm. in order to play a different way. But I think that what he also, you know, came to he came to realize that, that Scotty was right. I mean, that this was, was was not going to work in the future. Um, and and then I think the last part of it as well is that is that Iserman was getting older by this point. He had had a a series of injuries. Uh, It was probably that much harder to be that very uh, exciting and outstanding offensive player. And he could start to see some other really good players coming along, including Fedorov. And so that it was less uh, necessary for him to play the way he had played before and very necessary for him to play in a different way.
0: Ken, you know, Mickey Redmond said that the first year Scotty showed up in Detroit, that he kind of got the heartbeat of the team. And the following year, after losing to San Jose in the seventh game, Brian Murray was fired. And then Scotty took over. Now, Scotty thought he'd be here just for a short time. He spent nine years here. He had his salary tripled. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are about it's fascinating to read about how he loved coaching. And I'm not so sure how much building the team and you wrote about how Scotty way back hated to scout back when Sam Pollock made him an Eastern scout for the Canadians. But clearly, Scotty put together the team after that initial disappointment, and then the team went on to win some Stanley Cups.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that what what he didn't like, uh, uh, there were two things that he didn't like about being a scout. I think mm-hmm. one, being on the road so much. Um, and, and at the time that he was a scout, he was only 25, 26 years old. And as he would say, every other scout was double his age, if, if not more. And so he found it a lonely life and, and an isolating life. I think that mm-hmm. was one part of it. I think the other, what, what, and this is something that probably surprised him, was that he really missed being behind the bench. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that it, it wasn't even so much that he didn't like scouting, is that he loved coaching. That's what he you know, loved the most. And, and he loved the immediacy of being a coach. The, the problem of being a, a member of the organization uh, when you're not the coach, if you're the GM or you're a scout, or is that you are distant from the ice. Mm-hmm. You are distant from the urgency of the next moment in a game. You're distant from the feeling that you get from the players that are there on the bench in front of you and on the ice and your opponent and. And and, and of, of needing to come up with something uh, quickly, instantly. And I think that he, he missed that um, a lot. So then what he, in, in Detroit, you know, but at the same time as a coach and something that he really understood coming out of Montreal is that he needed the general manager that could get him the right players, that that you could be the best coach in the world, but if you don't have players that, that can can deliver... You're not going to win so much. And he had in Montreal, Stan Pollock, who was the greatest general manager of, of all time. So now Scotty finds himself in, in Detroit. He doesn't really want to be the manager, uh, but he wants to ha- be able to shape the team. And, and so he would, had Jim Devolano uh, and Ken Holland there to be the ones that could you know take care of the, the formal role of being the general manager, take care of the organization, uh, deal with the scouts, uh, be primarily responsible in terms of, of, of the players that are selected. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Scotty as the coach could ha- be this very important voice saying, look, this is the team that we are putting together. You know, when we are drafting certain players or looking to trade or assign free agents, we need this kind of guy or that kind of guy doesn't fit in. So he, he really had the role in Detroit that suited his um, instincts, his skills, his personality, and his strengths.
0: You know, when, when Scotty won his first cup with Montreal in 1973, your book mentions that there were 20 Canadians, uh, 12 francophones, 8 anglophones in 1997 when bowman won his seventh cup here in detroit the lineup had only 12 canadians one american and seven europeans two swedes and five russians now the oilers and islanders won with a few europeans but not a third of the lineup i remember one player he was surprised saying bowman gave up a third round pick for veteran fatisov who wasn't even playing in new jersey and sitting in the press box i wonder how the players We're seeing everything come together with Fetisov and Igor Larionov and then power play time to Thomas uh, Holmstrom pairing Frederick Olison with Nick Lidstrom. What does it say then cannibal Bowman that he was able to make this work with a a new dynamic?
2: I I think the first thing is, is that if you, if you're a player on the wings at that time, Mm -hmm. you you, first of all, and most deeply uh, you trust, you trust Scotty. I mean that, that, look, th- this guy <laughs> has done well before, uh, he's done great before. Um, it seems as if he knows what he's doing. And, and, and even though these are moves that other teams are not making, that, because Scotty is making them, that doesn't mean, you know, that, that means he's likely right. And so you, you, you may not entirely uh, initially accept, but you don't dispute uh and 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 essentially, you just see how it plays out. Well, then these guys arrive, and even though Fatisov was near the end of his career and, and had only had a a modest career in new jersey mm-hmm. uh you know, compared to his his career in the Soviet Union before, at the same time you know that there there were roles to play you know pieces to fit in um i mean in 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 some ways um I enjoyed the um, uh, talking to Scotty about his two thousand and one two thousand and two team as much as he talked about any team in in this book. And I had a feeling, and I don't know that it's true, and i don't I didn't ask Scotty, and I haven't heard him say one way or another, but that he may take as much delight or more than you know in in that team. And, and how it all pieced together and played out than with virtually any team and any cup that he had. And I think in, it would be for a few different reasons. I mean, one is that the West was so amazingly competitive at that time with three really top teams, Colorado, Dallas, and Detroit. And they were just outstanding, along with New Jersey, it seemed like every year they were, the, they were three of the four best teams. And, and so you had to find a way of beating these other guys. So that was, that was, And they had to find a way of beating you. So that was one, one part of it. Two is that Scotty also knew that he was getting close to the end of the line and that he was going to be retiring. And there weren't many chances left. And then here he had in front of him almost all of the pieces that were needed, but a few that were missing. And 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 then and very very in a very orchestrated way they put together those pieces that last year and and the primary the primary piece really of course was Hasek, is that is that what the Wings needed mm-hmm. was a goalie, that that the players believed, could go head to head with Patrick Waugh and with Eddie Belfour, and and uh, and with Hasek they had that player. And then when you think of the rest of the team, and, and, and Scotty talks very proudly of that team, Of right now I think there are nine players from that team that are in the Hall of Fame, and a 10th Dotsuk, who someday will be. But when you look at it, it was a team that except for Lidstrom, none of the other Hall of Fame players were in their peak Hall of Fame years. They were all older. Uh, that I think Shanahan was, was 33, and Chelios, and I think, was 40, and Larry Onoff was 37 or 38, and Luke Robitaille was around the same, and Brett Hull was the same. And player after player, these guys who had been leaders on their teams where they had played before, often the captains, the, the driving forces, the players that were looked to, uh, the ones that were on the power play, the ones that that were out there in the last minute of periods and, and of, of the game, who were used to playing, if they were forwards, they played, you know, 22 minutes. If they were defensemen, they played 26 minutes or, or more than that. But, but the go-to guys. And all of a sudden, they are on this team where <laughs> there's only one puck. And, and, and they all can't be go-to guys. And, and, and the usual response in a situation like that is that the player who is used to 22 minutes and getting all of this ice time and scoring all of these points, who doesn't get it, turns sour. And, and, uh, and, and it could have happened with that team. But I think it didn't happen for a couple of reasons. One is that they were all roughly at the same stage. They were all of this kind of age, past their, their prime years. And instead of being sour, they were grateful for one last great shot at winning a cup that they might otherwise never win again. And I think that was part of it. And part of it as well was that if you know they could look around and they're only getting 16 minutes of ice time, but it that is somehow acceptable if the other Hall of Famer beside him is also only getting 16 or 17. And Scotty. Played that, you know, played that out, and uh, and 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 they delivered. I mean, it was really a remarkable championship win. And finally, uh, Ken,
0: one last question about the Red Wings. You mentioned the two thousand and two team. They were one of eight teams that Scotty picked as the eight best teams from nineteen fifty one to two thousand and fifteen. We won't give away the uh, eventual winner that Scotty picked because. As you've said, the process, the analysis of each team and how they would play each other might have been more interesting than who he thought was the best team. But why was it important for Scotty to come up with eight teams and to analyze those teams?
2: Anybody can choose their top eight teams. Yes. I mean, you can, I can, the person in the street, the guy in the bar, you know, everybody on all, all the best of all time is on all, all the best of all time is, you know, in the end, who cares? Sure. But... but 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 who actually but we do care what Scotty Bowman thinks. Oh, absolutely. Because Scotty Bowman has been front and, and not only around the NHL all this time, but absolutely up close intimate to the NHL for v- virtually 70 years. And 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 so the, the the point is it's not the list of the of the best and and it's it's why Right. That's. The, okay. it, I mean, anybody can come up with with any kind of rationalization for anything and all of us come up with you know The one that's kind of out of the blue because it makes us sound so smart because we you know We, we don't you know offer the obvious answer but but the whole point of the book is Is not who the best eight are? it's it's how he gets there why he thinks so and and and, uh, and 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 so that if and and to hear his mind work, his mind working in in coming up with those teams and then having them face off against each other in a playoff series, and 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 for him to sort through, you know, you're the coach of both teams. How would you coach both of those teams? They're not always good. They can be bad. How do you you know how do you make Gordy Howe into an an ordinary player? How do you prevent? You know mark Messier from being you know scoring three goals and and it it is it is a device to to enter his mind and uh, uh, and so you know and, and I, I mean I make the point I think it's on page seventeen of the book you know of just saying look i I know it's a real uh you know it it's it, 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 it's a natural thing to want to skip to the end to see who wins, but do the best you can not to because it's how it's how he gets there. Yes. That's what the story is. Yeah. And that's why Scotty Bowman's opinion matters and why his story matters. Scotty said that 90%
0: of his work behind the bench was matching lines, but now he says the sh- shifts are shorter and now it's maybe not as important. He used to think the uh, center was the most important position, but now it's evolving. Maybe it's the defenseman. It seems like there were no certainties, Ken, in what he learned and how he adapted. And I wonder... I wonder what your
2: thoughts are. How important is a coach? I mean, one of the words you use there, and actually a phrase you use about you know, no certainties. I mean, I think that, that that's the essence of, 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 of any great coach. I mean, you, you don't really hear about a Bowman theory of coaching. You actually don't even hear it very much about a Belichick, you know, theory of coaching. What mm-hmm. those guys know is that that there aren't any certainties. And the only real thing you, you know, what your task is, is is to adapt to every situation that is going on, on the ice or on the playing field, is to be so alert to it, so attentive to it, so attentive to your own team, Mm -hmm. so attentive to each player, so attentive to each uh, player on the other team, that you make the little adjustments, adaptations, shifts of this or that at any particular moment to just change things a little bit. I mean, it 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 is not a broad strokes exercise. Uh, you know, it, it it it's much more, it, it's finer than that. It's a finer brush stroke uh in it. It's 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 it, it's, um, it, it, it's setting a tone, it's setting a mood, it's setting expectations. Uh, and and in the end, really, it 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 is a deep having a deep trust of the players that you have. I mean, most of the, you know there are an awful lot of the great coaches who are tough guys and who seem to you know there was the you know the, I think the Jerry Kramer line about uh, I, I actually don't even know if, it, if this is correct, but uh, 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 Vince Lombardi is you know he treats us all the same like dogs. Well, you know that 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 not really i mean that, that those great coaches that it, it sounds like all of that but deep but much deeper than that is there's an incredible respect that that coach has for those players because that coach knows that he's going nowhere by himself that that he's only going somewhere if those players end up delivering and and so uh, I think that, and, and and people have asked me since this book has come out, you know, that well, how would Scotty Bowman coach today? I mean, you know, that, that that the way even he coached in his last year in two thousand and two, the game has changed, and this and that, is that well, Scotty is is too old to coach. He's eighty six. Physically, he wouldn't be up to coaching. Uh, that it would be too draining. Uh, but in every other way. He absolutely could, you know, he, he could coach at the top because he knows what is the essence of any successful coach. And that is never, you know, that, that not allowing what you know yesterday and even today to uh, determine what you're sure must be tomorrow. Is that, No, you know, that tomorrow is its own day. It's its own, you know, the, the next game is its own next game and you've got to be watching, watching, learning all the time in it. And that's, that is the, that's the timeless coach, the timeless successful coach. And he absolutely could coach any of those, you know, the, the teams in the NHL and at the highest level mm-hmm. because he would see what he's got and he would play with what he's got and he'd play against what he sees.
0: Ken, thanks a lot for your time today to talk about your book on your former coach, Scotty Bowman. All the best. Thanks a lot, Mark. Ted, how about just a quick thought about Scotty Bowman, who uh, wound up coming here, and he tripled his salary when he first came, and he wound up staying here for uh, nine seasons.
1: i do tell you, Mark, I don't, in, any, in any sport, whatever sport you want to think of, I can't think of a potentially a better coach. I mean, wow. as far as a motivator, too, or just the way – found little ways to motivate people, pulling people's strings or whatnot. He knew how to get the best out of every player. Um, probably ahead of his time in a, in a lot of different ways. The success he had. and still very highly thought of around the in terms of his opinion and whatnot. Um, yeah, one of the best of all time in any sport, I would say. And Ted, after tonight's game, we mentioned
0: Tuesday's game against Carolina, and then you're on the road on Thursday with Alex Ovechkin in the Capitals, and then Saturday against these lightly again in Tampa Bay.
1: Well, like we said earlier, Mark, the chance to play the spoiler role. I mean, they could definitely, like you said earlier, greatly impact Florida Carolina's playoff chances, and then Washington and Tampa as far as the seating goes. and Actually, those are two places on the road where they have not had much success at all, so that'll be interesting to see how they handle those. Those uh, games with a very young lineup, we'll see. But obviously, it's going to be another test this week.
0: Our uh, next podcast will be a week from Monday. That'll be March the 16th against Florida. And until then, you can follow Ted on Twitter at tcolfin and get all your Red Wings coverage at DetroitNews.com. And don't forget the free copy of Ken Dryden's book. Just go to our Facebook page, and you can enter a random draw for Scotty, a hockey life like no other. Ted, we'll see you next week.
1: See you then, Mark.